and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. Welcome, folks. I have Graham Jones, Phil Jessen, and I'm Simon Hazeldean from saleschatshow.com. And the topic for this uh, recording is Phil. We have successfully got through to the prospect. We've got through to a person inside the client. How do we go about actually finding out how the decision to buy something actually takes place? within our client's business? Well, just to kick us off, I think there are two ways of doing this, brackets for me. Uh, I think one way of doing it is to personalise it. Another way of doing it is to depersonalise it. Let me deal with the depersonalised way first. That's all about identifying the decision-making process. So, the question would simply be, Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, or whatever, could you tell me how the decision-making process works from here? Because what we're trying to find out is who talks to whom in what order as this gains momentum and goes forward. Uh, the more personal way, of course, is to include the person that you're actually talking to. Uh, and I think that's very important because one of the risks in any decision-making question is that the person that you're talking to might be offended by the question who makes the decision on this, because the question almost suggests that the person you're talking to is not involved in that. So I think those three very important words, apart from yourself, Frank, are very important. So the question then becomes who, apart from yourself, of course, Frank, uh, is also involved in this uh, should uh, go forward from here. So that would be my two opening comments on that issue. And the, um, the data and the research shows that the larger the organisation, the more people are likely to be involved in, in a decision, yeah. you know, in business to business selling. Yeah. And, and indeed in business to consumer, it's probably a mistake for anybody to assume that one person in a partnership, for example, is, yeah. is the only decision maker. Is yes, it, it is. Usually the two partners and all yeah. the members of their family have, have some influence despite the fact mm. Despite what somebody might say. And I, I know one of the mistakes that I made in my uh, early sales career was not asking that question early. And I can remember a call that I made where I went fantastic and well, and I asked all my open ended questions, and I listened actively, and I summarised at the end, and everything was going well. Um, and then the, uh, the prospect um, said to me, Well, that's all, all good stuff, Bill, so when you come back next time, I'll introduce you to Terry. And I'm sitting there thinking, who the hell is Terry? <laughs> and the customer said, oh yes, Terry's my business partner. I need his input on this. And the customer, the prospect walked over to this glass partition and knocked on it quite loudly. And a chap on the other side of the glass room jumped to, his, to attention and waved at me through the glass. And that was Terry. That was the first and the only time I ever saw it. <laughs> now, my advice would be to ask the decision-making question early on in the batting order 
the questions because if you ask the question, who apart from yourself would also be involved in this, if the prospect turned around and says, Terry, there's a fair chance that we might be able to say, well, is he in the building today? Is it possible for him to come and join us now? And uh, when I think of that call all those years ago, uh, maybe that would have been the better way of involving Terry and uh, uh, extracting him from the safety of his glass to have him off his. In your experience, Phil, how many people would you say, on average, salespeople need to be looking out for as part of what's sometimes called the decision-making unit? Well, I think that's an interesting question, and because of the recession in inverse commas over the last sort of six years or so, I think what's happened in many businesses is that they have become more risk-averse, and the decision-making has probably gone from one stroke to people on many occasions, maybe now towards multiples three or four. Um, so I think typically today it can often involve a three-stroke four people mm. in that interesting mixture of decision-makers and decision-influencers. And sometimes we only think of decision-makers, but yeah. decision-influencers, and as we all know, including the gatekeeper, and inverted commas, a point that we covered before on a previous uh, uh, session, uh, they're all actively involved somewhere, yeah. either making the decision or influencing the decision. So I think the influence is a really important thing because those big decision-making units of three, four, sometimes bigger people are decision-making committees, or as I like to call them, <coughs> indecision-making units. Yes. All they do is decide to <coughs> review it and think about it at a later date, yeah. and then they never actually make a decision. And then, of course, it's too late for them to buy whatever it is, and they move on. Yes. Um, and so you've lost the sale as a result. So I think what you have to try and work out somehow is who is the influencer within that yeah. committee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you can then work on that influencer to get them to exert their influence for this indecision-making unit to transform itself to a decision-making unit, which is what you want as a salesperson. Yeah. And so you do need to see that group of people together. Yes, you do. That's really important because then you can observe yeah. and take note as to who is the most influential person. Yeah. And it's not usually the most senior. I think if you ask the decision-making question early in your running order, uh, it gives you that option, doesn't it, of coming back on yeah. the other day. And if you say to somebody who, apart from yourself, etc., etc., if the answer is, well, I'm one of three people that you need to see, then straight away we ought to be saying, well, quite clearly on another day, then I'll come back to explain how I can help you, but maybe I can spend the next 45 minutes just understanding you, understanding your business, what you're looking for, what you're currently doing. So the whole 45 minutes becomes that delightful mixture of questions and listening. We know that on that call number one, we're not going to be doing a presentation. Why would you? Because you're not talking to the whole decision-making process. Sometimes we get lured into doing a presentation and assuming rather naively that our motivated prospect will now go and take our good message and sell it to yeah. colleagues. They don't. They don't. Uh, we are more skillful at that than the prospect will be. So keep the powder dry and <coughs> wait to come back until you see all of or as many of the decision makers stroke influence as you can. I was recently um, talking to a chief executive of a manufacturing business. And they wanted me to help them with their web sales. And um, I thought, well, I'm talking to the chief executive. You know, if there's anybody who's going to make a decision, it's going to be the boss. And you know, he's a major shareholder in the business. It's partly his business. You know, do I need to speak to anybody else? Because if he wants this done, he's going to turn around to the sales and marketing people and say, I've got this guy. 
he's going to deliver. And that's how we started the conversation. And then I did ask you know, who ultimately makes the decision apart from yourself. And he said, no, I'm, so as far as I was concerned, he was the only one. And then, so we started off by saying, well, we'll have a little meeting to begin with, for which I was able to charge, to yeah. do some consultancy with them. And I said, can you bring in all the people who I will ultimately be working with? And so he brings these people in, and I make a little presentation, and we discuss, and I realized then that actually his decision was only going to be made for doing the ultimate chain of consultancy. That decision was only going to be made on the say-so of the marketing manager, who was you know, several tiers down from the chief executive. But she had, I could see, tremendous influence over what he believed about marketing, because he's, he's a manufacturer, yeah. not a marketer. Yeah. And so his business depends on her input as a marketer. And so, therefore, anything to do with web sales and marketing, he was going to take her view over and above my view, and therefore, subsequently, all my communications included her, because that became important. And so I needed to get those people together to see actually where his influences were coming from. Yeah, because that, that, I think, is a, is a manifestation of more modern enlightened management, which is around empowering and delegating authority yeah. down to people. So I, I think it's much, it's much less, I wouldn't say important, but don't overestimate the importance of having the senior person on side and think mm. that's the magic ticket yeah. to getting the purchase order. Yeah. Because if they're, a, if they're a pretty good manager or a pretty good leader, they'll have employed good people. That's right. And they certainly will not ignore or distrust those people. Yeah. Yeah. So they are going to often involve those people. And it, it can be a bit more complicated. But my largest client has a very consensual decision-making style. So the original competitive pitch was to 12 people. Mm. I mean, the art, and it is more of an art perhaps than a science, it's an art and a science, is working out who in there are the decision-makers, who are the influencers, but who are the key influencers, mm. and whose opinion is listened to, but perhaps not given as much uh, weight yeah. as, as, other, yeah. as other people. Yeah. And I think I, I learned about influences um, decision influence luckily uh, quite early on and I was introduced to the concept of a decision influence and not by some sort of strategic account management course at some posh business school but by a sales representative, 60 year old sales representative in a working men's club in Yorkshire and for those of you listening who are from outside of the UK working men's clubs are work should I say there aren't many of them left are great big sort of drinking dens where uh, miners, for example, in particular towns with other miners work in men's club. And uh, I was a new sales manager, I was about 25. The sales representative I was going out with was about 60 something. He was obviously delighted to have a 25 year old new sales manager. Uh, I knew exactly what I was doing, uh, clearly at that stage. Eight calls a day, and he had to have two objectives for his eight calls and he had to stick to his eight calls. The last call of the day was to this particular working men's club, and we went there first. And I can remember thinking, my God, this man is an idiot. He can't even follow his journey. And I said to him, what on earth are you doing coming here first? And he said, because I said, you're supposed to be coming here this evening. And he said, yes, I am coming here this evening. I thought, the man's an idiot. He's coming twice <laughs> to the same customer I'm gonna have. But I, I was sensible enough to just let him do what he did. And all he did was have a 10-minute conversation with the guy who ran the bar in this working men's club, having a little chat over a coffee about not very much, it would appear to me. 
got back in the car and I said, what on earth's going on? This won't do. This is discredit. You know? And he said, tonight I am presenting to the committee. And there are 12 of them about listing one of our products. I know at some stage they will say, what does the guy who runs the bar think? He will be hauled in at that stage and asked the question, what do you think of this product? Yes. And he yeah. said that if that guy says, yes, I like it, I think it will sell, we probably will get the business. If he says, I'm not sure, we'll be dead in the water. Yeah. And that was my first introduction to the importance of a decision influencer. And that was the start of me being educated in how to be a sales manager mm -hmm. by, a, by a very, very exceptionally good yes. sales representative. Sometimes, though, the influencer you could never see, and you yeah. never know, because yeah. you said earlier about this might apply to more to B2B than B2C, but B2C influence, even for single shoppers, is there, because you, know, you go in to buy a shirt, and in the back of your mind is, oh, what will my wife think of this, what will my children think of it if they see me in this? All of that is influencing your purchase decisions. So even in business to business, there are other influences. You need to get hold of those, which means you need to try and understand the people as people yeah. to try and understand what influences them. Mm. Well, I think also modern selling is, yes, you probably do capturing your CRM or in mm. your account plan who the people in the decision-making unit, and you do all the good stuff by your authority influence matrix and who's a supporter and who's not. I think you have to always keep that open to revision every yeah. single time you go and you probably learn something else about how those those decisions are made. Because sometimes the clients or the customers' decision making process evolves or changes or is not very well thought through. Yeah. Always. So one one other thing I would say on um, the decision making process where we identify that two or three other people are going to be met on another day. There are plenty of things that we can do and should do to maybe warm them up before we actually see them, rather than walking into a second meeting where we've got three people there that we've never met before. For example, have we established any contact with them on LinkedIn? Uh, have we written to them on email saying, looking forward to seeing you next Tuesday? Uh, had a very good meeting with your colleague. Uh, is there anything, any information you need from me that will uh, help you hit the ground running? All of that probably not with the permission of the person that we saw on the first meeting. Email addresses or whatever are not difficult to obtain these days. That lovely little phrase, as a matter of courtesy, I'm sending you a note. I said to your colleague, blah, blah. How can anybody possibly condemn us if we are doing things as a matter of courtesy? What we're actually doing, tactically, is making sure that we always work with people who are warm and hot as opposed to frosty and somewhat antagonistic. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be a good idea to go into one of those meetings wondering who one of the people in the room is. Yeah, yeah I really do. Yeah. <clears throat> you can always get a few surprises and uh, people will be introduced that you didn't know were coming. Then I think if you've not asked the question who's going to be, then you know, kind yeah. of contact them to make sure that I give them what they need as part of as part of the presentation, which is couched in being helpful. Yeah. You know, being helpful to them rather than in you getting the sale close. Or yeah. what do I need to supply them to help them in order to make the right decision, which may or may not be yeah. us. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's um, that's important important point yeah. there. So fantastic, lovely, thank you. That's Phil Jesson Graham, Joe Simon Hazelby from the saleschatshow.com.
have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 